I didn't realize that Youth Lagoon was another act, so I thought that your dressing room was named the Youth Lagoon. Oh yeah. I was a little <laughs> bit excited to enter. I was like, hey. <laughs> You're like, David, this is absolutely We got our ticket to the Youth Lagoon today, baby. Right, let's do this. Ladies and gentlemen, what you're about to listen to is an experiment in sound. Welcome to Sweet Green. How can I help you? Let's see. I'd like to start with Kale, please. Yeah. Who will be your topping, sir? Could I please have broccoli, black beans, please, sweet potatoes, and beets? Mmm. That is sweet and green. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my actual salad order from earlier this week. Special shout out to Terrence, my salad artisan, and yes, I would like bread. Thank you for asking. I'm Daniel Bloom. And I'm David Ross. Sweet Green was started by three Georgetown Hoyas in 2007, and it's one of the best places in this town to get a salad. Besides their expert work with a pair of tongs, what makes this group special is their ambition. Not only have they expanded into Maryland, Virginia, Boston, New York, and Philly, but they've also started their own festival, Sweet Life, which combines music and organic food. Sweet Life became a hot ticket in DC by hosting artists like Avicii and Kid Cudi, and this year, they've sold out all of the tickets for acts like Chromio, 2 Chains and Spirit Animal. Which is convenient because I heard that 2 Chains is your spirit animal, David. I'm different, yeah, I'm different. I'm different, yeah, I'm different. I'm different, yeah, I'm different. Pull up to the scene with my ceiling missing. Pull up to the scene with my ceiling missing. Pull up to the scene with my ceiling missing. Pull up to the scene with my ceiling missing. Middle finger up to my commodation. Precisely. Last year, we were lucky enough to attend Sweet Life Festival and get to know one of its up-and-coming performers, songwriter, musician, and prolific face painter, Robert DeLong. We is well excited to have Robert DeLong here with us in the studio. <laughs> big up, big up yourself. <laughs> we spoke to the Washington State native about his musical upbringing, stories from the road, and his Kenyan-esque endurance in New Balances. We'll start with the title track from his album, Just Movement. favor set the scene right now what's it going on outside what day is it well it's raining it's definitely raining but not that bad a little bit a little bit We're is it more than a drizzle or is it still raining? <laughs> it was definitely it started off it was, it was a gradual progression towards you know i'm saying towards downpour is really what it was and as soon as it started raining more debauchery started to happen we watched people get kicked out we definitely watched we watched completely separate uh, demographics of people get hauled out one carried one if you if so you probably haven't seen the entrance of this place but the entrance of this place has like 17 year olds like kill over you know what i'm saying like oh. and they have the powder <laughs> the, like it's a plane or something they have the powder they've they've already puked security's already acknowledged it it's to the point where they're just like okay we have to just we, we're gonna have to like put them put them on ice and then we're gonna get back to them in a little bit but that's those are the benches in front of this place that's classic that's like classic festival like <laughs> so we wanted to let you know this was happening i wanna be anywhere but here I wanna be anywhere but here I wanna be anywhere but here Always Always We call that progress We call that progress 
are here with Robert DeLong. We're here backstage at Sweet Life Festival. We are Dan and David of Madcap. Thank you very much for being with us today. Hey, thanks for having me. But it's just So, Robert, where are you from? Well, I grew up in Seattle, but I live in Los Angeles, California. Tell me about Seattle. Tell me about the town of Ballard. Uh, actually, I grew, up in, I grew up in Bothell. Okay. I can tell you about Ballard if you want me to. Tell me about Ballard. Ba- you really want to know about Ballard? I do, Ballard's I do. just like, uh, it's, a, it's uh, just a district of Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's like where there's some locks in Ballard. But I grew up in Bothell, which is like, you know, there's trees pretty much. There's just trees. That's about it. Are you a fan of halibut? Halibut? Yeah. I do love halibut, actually. Uh, you know, I'm probably a bigger fan of salmon, which is like uh, the more common, you know, fish in Seattle. But <laughs> So so what was your what was your first instrument? Uh, I grew up on drums. I was a drum set player. Drums? Yeah. What, what age? Uh, about 10 is when I started. My dad was a drum set player, so I kind of always was around it and was, you know, hitting stuff. So Okay. Did, so he was the one who taught you? Uh, initially, you know, he kind of got me into it, and then I started taking formal lessons or whatever. What was the name of your formal lesson teacher? Oh God, my first lesson teacher. Uh, he would have been Nate. I can't remember his last name. Nate Siler, actually. Nate Siler. Look him up. Shout out to Nate Siler. <laughs> Is Nate Siler still teaching out in uh, Washington? I don't think so. He uh, he actually joined like a. He was like playing for like a circus for a while as a drum set player, and then uh, I don't know what he did after that. Tried to marry my sister a little bit. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sidebar. Are you serious? I actually don't know that's true. I think he took her to prom, but I think that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a big step. So then the uh, inclusion of the drum set in your set, you know, on stage, it's totally natural. It feels, it looks natural when you see it from the, from the audience. Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, you know, I grew up as a drummer. I played in a lot of, uh, you know, I played in jazz band and stuff like that initially. And then I, I played in uh, just tons of like uh, initially punk bands and then like indie bands, folk bands and stuff like that. So Paul, so you 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 were jazz banding. You know what I'm saying? So you were playing jazz drums? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, that's that's always what I studied. And that was like uh, I studied that even in college and whatnot. So I've been pretty, you know, pretty in jazz, I guess, for a long time. Improvisation. You love it. Yeah, yeah. Right hand. <laughs> Who were some of like your favorite drummers? Do you have any? One of my big role models growing up was uh, Art Blakey. Um, uh, you know, I don't know. He's just he's kind of, he was my dude. Thank you. Thank you very much. At this time, I would like to take a moment, if I may, to say good evening on behalf of the Jazz Messengers and myself. We like to include, you know, people's favorite music. But as we're talking about it, do you have any jazz artists that influence you, especially? Um, Not just drummers, but you know, anybody like any classic records that you used to listen to, or 
You know, it's funny. Uh, one of the things I grew up listening to a lot of was uh, Pat Metheny, which is like contemporary jazz, you know, especially the stuff I was listening to. Uh, you know, borderline smooth jazz. <laughs> it's okay. We love Bob James, man. Hey, it, you know, but, but Pat Metheny was like, I think he was a huge influence on my sense of uh, melody and, and whatnot. like the Rippingtons, which, you know, I don't know if I can talk about anymore, but... I mean, Seattle has like a jazz scene. It has like a culture there. Absolutely, yeah. No, I used to, I used to, you know, in high school, we'd go out a lot to the, you know, I mean, it wasn't jazz clubs because I was couldn't go to those when I was a, a kid. But you know, we'd go to restaurants and see, you know, the famous jazz musicians floating around Seattle. So when did Robert DeLong become Robert DeLong? Huh. Uh, you know, I've always been Robbie DeLong, but then uh, I became Robert DeLong, I suppose, when I started doing my solo project, and I started performing it about two and a half years ago. But I was always writing tunes and recording stuff, and I was always kind of, you know, into the whole electronic programming thing, and it just kind of, over time, mushroomed into this uh, monster. <laughs> That first performance, describe it. Oh, goodness. My first performance was probably uh, at a coffee shop. Maybe that was like three years ago or something like that. And it was... In Washington? No, that was uh, that was in... It was just east of L.A., about 20 minutes east of L.A., in the town called Azusa. I mean, it was terrible. I think, I think halfway through the set, my computer crashed or something like that. <laughs> Which wasn't the first time. I mean, that's not the last time that happened, but it wasn't as cool as, as it was later, I think. <laughs> what do you do in that situation now? I usually call on my uh, one of my road guys, Joey, to tell jokes, and then he like embarrassedly doesn't, and then I repeat the things that he's said before, um, and then you know wait for my computer to reboot. <laughs> nice. How many guys are you in the road with now? Right now, I'm only uh, just touring with my uh, TM and uh, front of house, which is uh, shout out to Matt. To Matt. Yeah, yeah, good man. But then usually I have uh, another road crew, and then my, my girlfriend also helps with uh, doing merch and face painting. So it's just, it totally depends on, you know, budgets and where we're at and, you know, how much travel we're doing. So Glad you brought up face painting. I want to talk about this. So where do you purchase this face paint? Where do you purchase the face paint? Yeah, and, w and have you ever delayed a show because 
I don't have enough face paint. Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean the, the the face paint is all just uh, my my girlfriend Heidi has uh, always been the one that's kind of headed that up, and you know for bigger festivals and stuff she'll have a bunch of helpers, and you know it's kind of a cool thing. People come out and get their faces painted, but no, a show has never been held up uh, for face paint. It's always uh, yet. Show must go on. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay. So we heard that uh, you've been touring like a madman. Europe. Yeah, I just, got, I just got back from Europe. Uh, just literally flew in from Berlin. I think it was the day before yesterday. Uh, and then, you know, I had Amsterdam and before that, week in London. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's been busy. It's been really busy. A lot of airports. You, really, uh, you learn to hate, uh, you know, the, uh, the people that are constantly searching through your bag and asking what a microphone is and all that. <laughs> what, what's, your, what's your airport food of preference? Oh goodness! If there's anywhere I can sit down and get a burger and a beer, that's usually what I'm burger for. Burger and beer, okay, that's that's pretty. And it's not thirteen, fourteen dollars, you know. I mean, <laughs> it's I mean, rare, it's, honestly. It's, yeah, it's standard for like for like Heathrow, I guess. <laughs> have you been running through these towns, or have you been able to absorb any local culture while you're there? You know, I, I usually try to do my best to at least walk around for a couple hours if we have some time in the day, and then you know try to find some uh, nice people that'll uh, you know be throwing a party or something we can come hang out but you know it's it's it depends on how sometimes we literally have to drive out day of show so who knows but yeah no it's been cool i mean i got to spend a lot of time in london and i got to experience amsterdam and stuff like that when i was abroad and you know i've seen a lot of america which is cool <laughs> what'd you do in amsterdam what did i do in amsterdam yeah what, uh, were, you, what were your activities uh, <laughs> you, can, you can hold back whatever you want. This is, this is not gotcha journalism. Uh, you know, just uh, just hung out, got some coffee, uh, went for a run around the city. Actually, it was it's a beautiful city. It's really incredible. I, I go for the canals, That's really, right? Uh, don't swim at the canals. It's pretty dirty, but <laughs> no, it's it's an amazing place. I I just uh, got some Thai food, uh, but yeah, no, I, I actually that was one of my favorite places I've visited in a long time. It's a really bizarre and cool place. That was a favorite place. Was that was that one of your favorite places on the European tour? Definitely. I mean, you know, London. Every you know, London, Berlin, and Amsterdam all have their own kind of unique things about them. Uh, London's just sprawling. It's like New York in that way. It's like it there's is. so many different places to be in London. I had a great time in London. Where were you performing there? Uh, I played uh, two places in London. I played this place called Coco's, which is like that was a really great show. And I played uh, this place called Hoxton Bar and Kitchen, which is really cool. And then I also played up in Leeds. Uh, we just did a day trip up there. And then I had a whole bunch of, like, promotional stuff, a bunch of interviews and, like, uh, performances at, like, radio uh, stations and stuff like that. We is well excited to have Robert DeLong here with us in the studio. <laughs> big up. Big it up yourself. <laughs> yeah, I, le I learned some good new slang, actually. Drop it on us. Well, fit. I did not realize that fit meant hot. That was that was a new one. I was turned out we were talking about gear. We're like, well, we're loading all of our gear into our bags, you know, because we have to take a bunch of gear through the airport. Yeah, I thought you meant clothes. No, what they thought I meant was drugs. Was drugs? That's yeah. gear. He's like, you got the gear. Back to more important issues, if you don't mind. We have only got two real guns. Apparently, that's what they are. So we find a good place to hide next door. We wait till it sounds like the right time, then we jack in the box, look nasty and stuff, cocoon them in gaffer tape, nick their van, swap the gear into the new van and bring it all back here. We don't take drugs to the airport, that's not our thing. <laughs> this is Madcap. Check this, science with none other than my main man. Producer, singer and drummer Robert DeLong. The drive is long, the roads are dark. Memories focused 
Uh, sleep when you can and, and you know it's like the shows are always easy you show up to a show and you play a show and that's always fun and you know it's great the hardest part is airports really I find that that's the most painful process but no, I, you know I just you, you do it you have a lot of inside jokes and people think you're a crazy person because you're like talking about nonsense that no one else understands <laughs> what are you listening to before your set uh, you know, before my set, I actually don't listen to anything. I, you know, sit around and uh, I do some vocal warm-ups and, like, do some drum warm-ups and stuff like that. But uh, what I've been listening to on the road a lot lately is actually I've been listening to a lot of uh, Talking Heads, David Bowie, and this artist, uh, Lucy, from Germany. So, you know, staying pumped up. <laughs> so I noticed you dropped some Talking Heads in your set. And yeah. does that does that change depending on what you're inspired by, or are you always liking to drop some David Byrne in there? Um, yeah, right now that's that's what I've been doing is having that that David Byrne uh, acapella in there. Uh, it's cool. I, I was liking that. <laughs> Thanks. I'm glad you identified it. So many uh, find that the the younger generation sometimes misses that. I also do. I'm old, Robert. I'm 29 years old. Hey, I know what's up. I'm 28. You're 20. Oh, what were you 26? I'm 27, actually. So I know what's up with Talking wow. Heads, brother. Nice, nice, nice. That's right. No, that's great. I mean, you know, not, not that I was really alive when the Talking Heads were, were popular, but exactly. Remember the remember those music videos? Remember oh, the music no, videos? It's, it's the live uh, performance. Um, what is it called? The one where uh, David Byrne comes out there and he starts off with um, um, this is ridiculous. It's a boombox. He presses play on a boombox and like sings and plays guitar. What is it called? Uh, and he starts. He plays. He sings Psycho Killer right yeah, off the yeah. bat. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen this before? I don't think he so. He goes. He comes out. and He goes. Hi. Hi. I got a tape I want to play. What year was this? Like eighty? This is like when MTV first like started. Four, I think, or something like that. But it was, uh, it was really cool because that, like, slowly throughout the performance, they build the stage. Like, they bring more and more musicians in with like staging, and they roll out risers and stuff. It's really crazy. You should watch it. Right, I need Obviously. to check this out. I need to check this talking heads out. Okay, that's another segue. Tell us about your influences from when you were a young kid. Well, like I said, Pat Metheny is kind of what I grew up with. Beyond that, he was really into like yes. Of 
but then you know later I got really into uh, Floyd and then I really got into like kind of the Seattle indie scene in high school uh, you know kind of starting with like Death Cab and Modest Mouse because they were kind of coming up when I was in high school um, and then you know I don't know just a lot of stuff like uh, Crystal Skulls uh, Dave Bazan you know Page of the Lion uh, Jeremy Enoch of uh, Sunny Day Real Estate all those kind of things were big influences on what I listened to I mean what I was you know, I guess doing at the time. And then over time, you know, I started listening to like things like Boards of Canada and that kind of got me into the whole electronic world. And then, you know, and then I got into dance music when I moved to Los Angeles. And here we are. <laughs> What's your favorite dance music club in, in LA? I don't know if I have a favorite club. I mean, you know, one of my favorite uh, event companies is this uh, company called Incognito. Um, they throw a bunch of like kind of underground like techno events and it's always at a different location. And also droid behavior, kind of the same thing. But then, uh, yeah, I mean, those are kind of my two favorite event companies. My favorite club, though, in L.A. is actually a club in, um, it's not in L.A., it's a bit south of L.A. in the O.C. called uh, The Observatory. I don't know, they just have such great production, really great sound system and lighting, and it's like, uh, I don't know, it's probably the coolest place I've uh, had a chance to play as far as, you know, people are really nice and just, like, the, the highest quality stuff. So, yeah. So, um, on stage, drink of preference. <laughs> Is it a, uh, what is that, something bitch? No, 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 it's not Raging Bitch. I, I just found this in my my dressing room today. No, uh, Jameson. How do you last? How many, how, <laughs> how can you, like, how much are you? <laughs> I do this a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you, I hear you, but. I got the water bottle of Jameson up there. I'm jumping around. That's lot, what so it was, you looked off. at that. We saw the water I mean, bottle. I apple juice, sorry. We saw the water <laughs> bottle. Dan was like, that's not water. That looks brown. Diet Coke. <laughs> I was like, that's probably alcohol. Is it neat? Do you put ice in there? No, yeah, it's just neat. Yeah. <laughs> you practically European. That's a big deal. <laughs> practically Writing process. How do you like to write? What do you uh, use in terms of like computer programs? What, what's your what's your setup? Uh, I write, you know, pretty much exclusively in uh, Logic, um, and you know, mostly when I'm on the road. It's and you know, even when I'm at home, it's a, a lot of uh, I write a lot of you know my music and stuff like that in headphones. Um, usually when I'm on airplanes or you know in cars or you know when I'm at home, out of my deck, and uh, and then. You know, and then I'll go back and record vocals or, you know, kind of add to it and actually record stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the writing process is totally different. I mean, for some songs on the album, like Few Years Make, like that started on guitar, or, you know, some songs started on piano and it's just totally, or, you know, I'm just like singing in the car, which is weird, but <laughs> normal, sorry. All, it's, it's cool. Yeah, we all do it. <laughs> Say like you have a project to finish, you know what I'm saying? Like what gets you in the correct state? Like how do you do it? You know what I'm saying? Like is there like coffee? Is there like what puts you in that... You know what I'm saying? In that mindset. Uh, just, you know, a lot of kale. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. No, no, actually, I, I run a lot. Um, and really? Yeah, okay. and that's something that uh, you'd never believe, but I also drink a lot of beer, so. <laughs> You're small. No, but, uh, no, I mean, the running is like, uh, that's usually if I have a project or something I'm working on, I can kind of think through kind of all the steps I need to take, and then I, you know, quickly go back and, like, work on a bunch of stuff and then, uh, you know, take a break, and then usually I've got something to think about. You're not running in silence. 
Oh no, I run in silence. Yeah, absolutely. You do. Yeah, yeah. So there's a media blackout when you run. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, that makes sense. I mean, that's he's living in his headphones. I was gonna say I'm usually always listening or working on music, so running is kind of my one time to kind of you know clear it all out, see something new. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Interesting. Are you just like itemizing thoughts in your head? Are you? Are you? Is there songs in your head? Is 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 you running? Like what's what's, and what's the distance that we're talking about? Uh, you know, I've I've been working up to I do about, it kind of depends on how much time I have, but usually I try to do about ten miles, ten twelve miles, something like that. So damn, Are you kidding me? It's nice and slow. I keep it nice and slow. <laughs> we're talking to a Kenyan here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty serious. That's pretty serious. See, that's funny because Matt, the tour manager, is Kenyan. Oh yes, he's from Nairobi. That is why you your subconscious just told that joke. Good job. He's, he he grew up in Nairobi. He is white though. <laughs> I, I'm familiar. I mean, I, I mean, he introduced himself. I mean. All right. So the future for you. What do you want to do uh, with your next next step in your career? I mean, you know, this year is really just a lot of touring, and you know, I'm doing a bunch of remixes, and there's some collaborations, and as those come out, they'll be announced and whatnot. But uh, yeah, and then you know, kind of the next year after that is kind of after we wrap up this album cycle. Um, probably gonna go try to hide in a cabin somewhere in the woods and uh, you know work on my next album and then you know who knows I, I don't know if I'll you know have a band or whatnot on the next album who it's kind of up in the air at this point so let's announce these collaborations now <laughs> even though it may be illegal but <laughs> let's announce them it's just you know it's just Jay-Z and Beyonce so yeah. don't worry about it <laughs> and then Phil Collins in for the Phil Collins. <laughs> it's a super group uh, with Phil Collins and Master Ace it's gonna be amazing. So random, but I like it. Thank you. She's all I need, all of my life. I feel so good if I just say the word. So, so, so is there anybody you'd like to work with, maybe out there in the world of music, that you haven't? My, my stock answer for this is always Brian Eno, but obviously, I mean, like, whatever. <laughs> Brian Eno. Um, and then uh, Tom York is my other stock answer. And then my. The one that I always love like to talk about is Diplo, because I feel like that would be a really interesting and kind of bizarre thing to, to do, and I, I think that'd be fun. Yeah, the latter. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you would definitely see some booty, no matter what happened after that. Oh, my God. <laughs> bubble butt. Bubble, bubble, bubble butt. Bubble butt. Since you're on the road, give us a an anecdote of where things just went completely wrong. It wasn't your fault. But think shit, <laughs> shit just went wrong. Ooh, you know, it's it's hard to know, and it's my fault exactly. Uh, I mean, we've had some weird ones where like uh, we've flown into the wrong city. <laughs> that happened. It's, it would be a weird one. Yeah. <laughs> what we, city? We flew into Austin instead of Dallas. Okay. Eh, okay. Pretty close. Okay, <laughs> okay. It was just wishful thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh goodness, what? There's been plenty of things like. Uh, you know, missed flights. It's usually always the airport related, honestly. And then, you know, I've had I've had computer crashes and stuff on stage. But those are those are honestly easier things to handle than anything. You know, it's just just tell everybody it'll be fine. The show will go on and everyone's usually pretty understanding. So <laughs> do you have a stage dive at the end of your set? You know, I'm so connected like I have a bunch of wires plugged into me. <laughs> if I didn't, I would totally do it. I, I've thought about it multiple times. Hear but that ladies and gentlemen, too connected to stage too dive. Too connected. <laughs> <laughs> Too connected. He's sacrificing for you, the people. He would do it, but he's too connected for you. About connecting with the people, what is it like to, you know, touch people with your music and interact with people after shows? Um, it's always fun. I mean, you know, it's my favorite part is playing shows, and, and, you know, it's always fun to, like, I always try to make a, a point to say hi to fans and, you know, sign stuff or whatever after shows, and it's always interesting, you know. It's, it's uh, 
it's it's a strange thing. I'm not really used to that, <laughs> but but it is fun and it's it's cool to see who the people are that are listening to you and it's it's interesting. It's always regional. It's always different demographics in every region, and I think that's fun to see. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Robbie DeLong. Ooh, Ooh, Robert DeLong. Dot com. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Keep keep the branding up. Robert DeLong. Get it, get it. Robert DeLong. Get it right. Yeah. Dan Bloom. David Ross. Madcap. Thanks, Robert. Good man. Good talking. Boom. Special thanks to Robert DeLong, to Matt, Robert's tour manager, to IMP and Meriwether Post Pavilion for hosting us, to Ken Weinstein, and to Barry Lieberman for bringing it all together. If you were quick on the draw, we'll see you at Meriwether Post Pavilion for the sold-out 2014 Sweet Life Festival on Saturday, May 10th. If not, you can follow them on Instagram for free ticket giveaways. That's Instagram.com slash SweetGreen. For more information, visit SweetLifeFestival.com. Our next guest is Dolly Wells. She's the star, alongside her real-life best friend Emily Mortimer, of the HBO comedy Doll and M. The premise is as follows. I'm Dolly, and I, I'm working with Emily. I'm her best friend, but I'm working for her, and I'm going to be um, staying here. The show is written by both Dolly and Emily, as well as Azazel Jacobs, who also directs the series. Emily Mortimer also plays Mackenzie McHale on the HBO series Newsroom. The series appears every Wednesday at 10.30 p.m. Eastern and had its season finale on April 2nd. Here's Dolly. How you doing, Dolly? Hi, Dolly. I'm Dan. I'm the co-host. Thank you very much for being with us today. Yes. You, 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 not at all. You got, you got, you got two people. Thank you very much. For, I didn't mean to cut I got, you. I've got you, David. <laughs> you got me, David, and you got Dan right next to me. Hello, Dan. Hello. I've got no one. I feel a bit... I've just got me and my handbag, so... Did your handbag talk? No, but I, I might. I might embarrass all three of us hugely by doing some weird ventriloquist voice if it gets really awkward. That's that's exactly what we're looking for. Co- a Cockney accent would be good. You <laughs> 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 totally come to the right girl. If I'm allowed to call myself a girl for about another 30 minutes. <laughs> so, um, Welcome to American media, the bright spotlight <laughs> <laughs> of, well, of, of the I Yanks just, shining down upon you. How does it feel? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't feel like that. I just went for an audition and had to sit for like an hour and a half with a million, all of us all sitting, waiting, trying to sort of give each other all stink eyes because we're all going for the same part. So I'm not, I don't, I'm not feeling too that grand yet. But someone just came up to me just now in the street and said how much they love the show. And it was a man, so that was really exciting. Qu- question, what do, you, what do you think of the city of Los Angeles? Well, I'm not in Los Angeles. I'm in New York. Oh, you're in New York but right now? now. Um... I'm in New York right now because that's, that's where I'm living currently. But the city of Los Angeles, I was in last week. 
with Emily, and I think it's—I sort of think it's quite wonderful. I know as an English person, or you're sort of supposed to be, or expected to be rude about Los Angeles, but I think it's lovely. I love the food, I love the weather, I love the walking and hikes. I love Echo Park and Silver Lake, and I love the people I know who live there. So I'm quite into LA in that respect. Okay, okay. So uh, I have one. I, have... <laughs> I mean, there's, there's things I could be rude about, definitely, if you really wanted me to, but I'm going to be controversial and not be. No, 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 no. We, we embrace controversy. We love it. We, we, let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's dive deeper. Please. Rudeness. I think rudeness is what we embrace <laughs> more than controversy. <laughs> well, I could definitely be rude. We went on the Huffington Post live issue, me, Emily, and Azza, and Emily said, is it okay if we swear? And he said, I really want to swear. So we all said fuck as many times as we could. I felt quite liberated, but I'm probably not supposed to say that on the air now. You definitely well, can do that. Live, is it? No, no, and no. you can, and, and this is a podcast, so you can curse all you want. Yeah. Who, who did you speak to at Huffington Post Live? We have a friend there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't. Which is so unfair because I got sort of mild onset of amnesia. But he was so cool. He was the main guy. I don't. Oh, if you said his name, I'd know if it was him. He was the main. He was. I mean, that we'd done so many interviews at that point. I couldn't. I sort of couldn't. He didn't even feel like introductions were in English. But he was really clever and really quick and really funny and had a cool suit on and was handsome so you couldn't ask any more <laughs> I don't like him <laughs> 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 alright so I, I want to know so I mean like when was the first time that you and Emily conceived I mean just came up with a concept of Doll and M um, okay I think it was only about two years ago because we have been writing for an embarrassingly long time considering what we've what we've got to show for it, which is one show. But we um, we started writing about 12 years ago, and we wrote, and I think now, looking back on it, that was like a spec script. We wrote this film, and we changed, we, there were probably about 64 drafts, and we'd suddenly, I'd come and stay with her in Los Angeles when she was living there, and I was in London, and we'd suddenly decide in the middle of the night that the book that was based on one short story should be based on the entire book, and we'd make a script go from sort of 130 pages to 400 in a night, and we'd just feel mad. But we learned things along the way. And I think about two years ago, we had this idea for Doll and M. And it just immediately amused us. It seemed really funny and really sad, which are things that appeal to us, and that it could be dark. So it came quite quickly. It came quite easily. And we both love, you know, the fil- those films all about Eve. The general atmosphere is very Macbethish. What has or is about to happen? What is he talking about? Macbeth. We know you. We've seen you like this before. Is it over or is it just beginning? Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Films about power struggles and, you know, one person being on top of another and how things can change. And it just seemed like an easy, simple notion that you could fit all the silly things that we wanted to be talking about into. What would you describe the both of you's writing process like? Like, how do you like how do you collaborate, basically? Well, we've got quite good at not being too egotistical about it because we've done it for so long. So we, a lot of it is on the phone, just making it. Now that we're living in the same city, I'm not sure how we'll do it now. We won't know because we're not used to doing it when it's this easy. But we used to do it over the phone. Um, and if it's something really made us laugh or moved us, we sort of knew it was right. Or we'd write, we'd send each other scenes and then one could say, no, that, I don't like that, but I like something about that. And then we'd just send it back and forth. Or we'd say, okay, you do that scene and I'll do the scene afterwards and then swap them. So we got a sort of shorthand of how to, of being used to, you know, making that work quite easily and time differences. Or I'm going to sleep. I know you've got another five hours of being awake. So can you 
get on with it. <laughs> so, so the pilot was filmed while Emily was on the set of Newsroom, correct? Yes, yes. She, it was in the. Um, she was in her trailer doing, you know, filming the Newsroom. She'd come back, poor little girl, for like twenty-minute breaks. And as of the director and Tobias, Toby, the DOP, and me, he's into this trailer. And I can remember all of us falling out of the trailer and Olivia Mum walking past saying. Is what's going on? Are you having a gangbang? We were like, it's not quite as exciting as that, but it's quite exciting. <laughs> but, um, because we were trying to quickly film it before people would knock on the door and want to have back on the on the newsroom set. So yes, the, the pilot was we did in about three days. Really? What, what kind of budget were you working with for the pilot? Oh my god, embarrassing. I mean, like I don't know, seven hundred dollars or something. Well, a little bit more, but not more than probably two thousand dollars at the most, because all we had to pay for was my ticket to LA. They were Emily and I were already there. We borrowed. I think we had to pay a little bit of money for insurance or something, and then gave Toby nothing much, but just something so that he wouldn't get screamed at for leaving his family behind for a few days. And that was it. <laughs> okay. So, so, so the premise is: so Doll breaks up with her boyfriend. She's feeling kind of depressed. Fl- goes from Heathrow to LAX. Emily invites her to to be her assistant on a on a film. What's the name of the film? That she's Valerie Lee. <laughs> yes, yes. This and this is like the female Godfather, correct? No, it's not like the Godfather. It's a strong central female character. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. So, like, is Doll's role more of a best friend slash assistant or assistant slash best friend? No, the main the thing that made us the thing that we liked was the fact that they are best friends. They've been best friends their whole life, and that would make it so weird because you didn't really know each other, and you asked somebody to be your assistant. I mean, that's sort of okay in a way. Mm-hmm. But if you're really best friends, it's sort of a pack with the devil. I remember our director saying that. It's like all good intentions. Oh, I've forgotten the quote now, so it's not much use. But <laughs> lined with gold or the, something. The, the, road to, the road to hell is paved with good intentions? Yes, well done. That's, <laughs> that's very clever. I minored in axioms. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Emily's already said it in those other interviews, so you've just read one, and I'm not giving you any credit for that. But... Um, no, exactly. So basically, they are best, best friends. And Emily is trying to help Dolly out, and Dolly is trying to help Emily out. Doll and Em. Very weird, us having our own names. But And so it's more, I would say, it's more of a best friend who's a hopeless assistant, so, is my role. You know, she doesn't know what she's doing. She's never been an assistant before. So what, what does an assistant do? Like, do I make you breakfast? No, no, you, you definitely sure? don't have to make breakfast. They have it there at this, on the set every day. But should I make coffee or get you coffee or tea or something? You'd have to get up too early. That's no, fine. I don't mind that. Really, I don't need coffee. You sure? Yeah. I mean, I can tell you what kind of coffee I like just in case there's a time in the day that, you know, it's just a latte, you know, that's just a latte, yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. Really easy. Um, so what else? <clears throat> but tell them to make it really frothy. Really frothy. Frothy latte. Just ask for loads of frothy milk. Good, okay. Latte, frothy latte. Yeah, that's it. And then... um, Three shots. Okay, okay. Latte, frothy latte, three shots. Okay, what else? Um, In a medium-sized cup. That's why I would never in real life be on the instant, or vice versa. It would just be too weird. You you don't work for your best friend, because once you do that, you're going to start hating each other, because the person paying the person to work for them is going to um, be annoyed if they don't do it properly, which my character definitely wouldn't. And the other way around, you're going to think, oh, God, what, so I just have to sort of serve you like a handmaiden? <laughs> do you, in real life, do you two have assistants yourself? No. 
I'd love to pretend I had an assistant. I so don't. Neither of us do. Emily, when she's doing the newsroom now, has got someone helping part-time, a very cool, interesting girl with all her own stuff going on, who's just helping part-time, but just because of the hours of, um, you know, the newsroom she films sort of 20 hours a day. So sometimes someone has to go and, I don't know, get the insurance on your car or I don't know what, something. But no, she doesn't. Neither of us do. I love that this is a topic that is very de rigueur in the world of show business and Los Angeles. And for the rest of the country and maybe the rest of the world, it's very unusual for someone to have an assistant. But this is a, a big business. This is a big common industry in L.A. I know. I know. It's so ridiculous. Well, do you know what? Do you think it is only L.A.? I'm not sure. I think it's getting more and more. I mean, I think it's anyone that is earning a certain amount or working a certain amount of hours and got other things going on like don't you think a very successful architect would have an assistant or a very successful I mean I don't know I, I feel like I mean I know what you mean I think it starts off as this weird niche thing and I would be sort of embarrassed in a way I mean it is I mean not embarrassed but I first of all it makes me laugh the idea of me ever earning enough money to be able to pay an assistant but <laughs> secondly I just think yeah you would feel a little bit embarrassed but I do think it's becoming more of a thing I would say I would say it if you want go on no, no, I was saying if you if you really wanted free labor, you can always just use an intern. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, yeah, that's true. That that thing, yeah, that that an intern would be good. I'm, oh god, yeah, that would be quite good. Big shout out, Marquise Goodwin, who's across the glass from us right now. <laughs> our intern is our intern is is board hopping right now, so he's he's doing an amazing job. So I want to know be, before before all of this, how before you all shot this, how did you think this? How did you think this was going to be, and how did it pro, how did it differ from how it actually was? This is sounds this sounds awful. I'm coming across terribly badly, but I don't care. It, we don't think we did think about it very much. Otherwise, perhaps we might not have done it. <laughs> looking back on it, it's quite risky to make a show with your literally in real life your best friend, make your husband play her husband, um, get Emily's husband to be the producer, our great friend to direct it. Like all sorts of things could have been really fucked up, and we didn't think about it that much. We just knew. It was an idea that interested us. We loved writing together. We hadn't acted together. It was an excuse to sort of hang out. So we didn't give it a huge amount of thought. But when we watched it, we do feel, I mean, of course, there's moments when, I mean, I can't speak for Anne, but for me, there's moments when performance-wise, I sort of think, oh, or, you know, something's a bit clunky or it's not all completely perfect. But mostly, we we all three feel really proud. And, and Alessandra, our producer, we all feel really proud of it. You know, it's the, we knew by using other, our director and the, Toby always works with him, a cameraman, a DOP, that it would look beautiful because all the other projects they've done together look have a look of, you know, sort of natural and a warmth and a sort of, you know, there's a certain look to his work. So we knew we weren't sort of like, oh, my God, that's so surprising. We weren't expecting it to look like that. But it felt, as a project, very easy and important and exciting. But I think that's also when you do things with your friends and you all care so much and you all want it to be good for each other so everyone's sort of trying their best you know what I mean you're not being sort of lazy and half-hearted you really want it all to be something you want to say otherwise it's sort of pointless yeah when it, when it goes well it can be amazing so and I, I, I... yeah when it goes well it can be amazing when it goes badly you just think oh god so all your friends are like oh wow that's the thing that you wrote what you really wanted to say that that's yeah, you go. Sorry, I'm in a taxi. You go. My assistant's driving me. <laughs> you go right here. <laughs> so, so there's. Then, a... Do you know what? If I, well, I'm sorry. So one second. If I just get out here, then I can walk. Otherwise, my family are going to see me and they'll interrupt me being on the phone. Thank you so much. Um, I'm just paying the taxi. I'm really sorry. And obviously, I normally go on the subway, but because I'm doing an interview with you guys, I couldn't go underground. 
Um, <laughs> this is great. I love this. Uh, <laughs> live action, okay. traveling through the Thank streets you, of New York. Last week when I was in LA, I got um, I got a taxi from like meeting to meeting. I had about three meetings, and then I stopped to get a cup of tea. And when I stopped to pay for the cup of tea, the guy gave me two cups of tea instead of one. And I was being so stingy that I complained about having paid an extra sort of two dollars for an extra one. Thank you. And and while all the while all the kerfuffle went on of me complaining, there was a taxi waiting which cost about twenty dollars for me to wait to complain and then say no, I only ordered one and. Anyway, slightly boring story, but I don't know where that came from. <laughs> okay, anyway, back to whatever you were asking me. I was going to say, so there, there's a there's a scene where Emily is trying to cry on spot, and she's unsuccessful, and, okay. you're, and you're able to do it, and the director loves it. <laughs> keep going, keep going. Pushing on her. Taste it, taste it. Perfect. Wow. That was amazing, Dolly. So I want to know, did you yeah. actually cry on spot? Well, on that, yes. In that scene there, I was crying, but I didn't have, I wasn't in a sort of fountain of tears pouring out, but I was, I was, you know, I wasn't, I mean, I was acting. Sorry to break it to you. I was acting and pretending to cry. But we do have a joke. Like in, in the pilot one, in the trailer, when, I, when there's tears just, Dashing down my cheeks. That was quite funny because Emily was squirting water on my face. We had like 10 minutes when the supposed gangbang was going on where Emily was squirting water on my face. The director and the cameraman were trying not to see their own reflection in the mirror and it was all such a rush. But in the scene, the funeral scene that you're talking about, I was pretending to cry, but it, it never got that close. So you couldn't see tears, if that's what you're asking. But I was, I mean, I was acting, you know, trying to break the illusion of the job, but so, so I wasn't really thinking... <laughs> I wasn't really crying. No, I'm afraid I was acting. Hey, hey, you fooled me. You, you fooled me. But you know what's awful is my husband watched. He had to watch the um in the beginning, the opening of each episode. A sort of really ugly crying comes to me in the on the bed while I'm in you know on the carpet, red carpet in LA, standing at Bradley Cooper, and I had to do so many different bits of crying. And I was doing sort of, I, I can do quite good crying. I mean, it's just, it is almost like that that bit when I'm saying it's a trick. It's sort of you know quite easy to pretend to laugh. It's quite easy to cry there's other bits that are sort of harder but and my husband was just watching with more and more disgust and it's like so the next time we have a row and you're crying like that i am not gonna believe it i'm not buying it like <laughs> you can just turn it on i was going no 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 but when i'm crying when we have a row it's completely different sort of crying <laughs> so now i can't i can't use my quick crying anymore because he's seen through it so what's it like to watch uh to you, you and Emily, what's it like for you and Emily to watch yourselves just basically as best friends on TV? Is that awkward at all to, to view? It's quite weird. No, no, it's not awkward. You know what? It's not, none of that is awkward. I feel, I mean, without sounding sloppy, really proud because I think she is, I mean, it keep, there's bits, I keep saying it again and again, there's bits that just give me such goosebumps. I just feel like as her friend, even if I was just her best friend watching it, I had nothing to do with the show. I feel like it's so nuanced, her performance. So I just feel really proud and really excited that we're doing that together. It's not that weird watching us as best friends. There's the thing that makes us cringe a bit, but we accept that our director, as a, in a way, maybe did the right thing, I don't know, is it, us being called Don and M. We find that a bit sort of, ooh, 
slightly because those are our real names and we're not playing ourselves, we're playing characters. And so sometimes we were like, oh, God, like when our friends be going, oh, M, be like, oh, don't call us Dolan M. Oh, it's like a sort of two sort of funny old comedians or something. I mean, I can't explain it. It's just because those are our names. That's the only thing that feels weird. And when we went to Cannes, just, you know, to Mipcom, the television festival, there were these huge posters saying Dolan M, and that was making us a bit sweaty and slightly cringe. I don't know why. But watching ourselves as friends is fine. That doesn't really bother us. Because it's not, you know, I don't know, it's not really, you're not really, you're playing best friends, but you're not playing your real selves, you know. Can you recall uh, from the shooting process, can you recall the the best day and the worst day of shooting? When I say worst day, I mean everything just oh, went that, wrong. That's such a good question. No one's asked me that yet. Um, okay. I've had to stop in the street. I'm looking so pretentious. I'm still looking up to the sky like a poet, want to be poet. Um, <laughs> okay. Not that poets are pretentious. I've really got myself in there now. I was going to say, I feel like Eric comes now. Okay, what was the best day? The best day, I think, was just the first day because it was just so exciting. I remember us driving together down the Brea, it's called Brea Avenue or Brea something, whatever it's called, and seeing posts, seeing like the yellow, yellow signs that you put out when you're filming saying Dolan M, and we had to stop the car and keep getting out and take pictures of each other holding them, and we were just really, really overexcited. It seemed like a sort of dream, like being in the trolley and chocolate factory or something. So that was just the best day just by, and there were millions of best days. I mean, it was really, really fun. The worst day, I'm just trying to think, what's the worst day? That's such a good sign that I'm really searching for a worst day. I can't really remember a worst day. I mean, there were moments, like the girls playing our, um, our sort of body doubles by the, by, by the hot tub <laughs> were about sort of 19 and really, really hot and the crew could sort of barely focus and then we'd have to sort of come out and they'd go in and it was, that was slightly low moment just getting really sort of embarrassed can but, you uh, um, can you provide their names and emails please <laughs> what Is it, you could have you? their emails <laughs> <laughs> so um, so that was I can't really think of there weren't so many low moments I can't really can't really remember I mean I was embarrassed some of it oh, I'm embarrassed by the first episode me running around in my bikini because we didn't ever think anyone was really going to see that that was just for us so there's moments watching that feels like a moment of a low blow. But um, no, it was all, it was mostly really fun. I can't think, I think there was one time when something went wrong with a camera and we were waiting for another one to arrive. But I, I, I mean, you know, you know it yourself, probably. when you're just hanging out with your friends working, it doesn't really feel, you'd, you'd be a bit of an ass to be going, oh, this is really, really, really unpleasant. You know, I mean, because the chart's really nice. You're really lucky. So I can't really remember any really hard, bad bits. I could swear I heard you reference Eric Cantona. Yeah. For those who don't know in the listening audience, Eric Cantona was a legendary footballer, soccer player for Manchester United who famously kicked a fan once during a game and used to wear his collar popped up. Do you happen to be a football fan yourself? It's funny that you say that because no, but obviously it should have gone in. My husband is a very, very serious soccer fan. He supports Chelsea. I was going to ask you what team. Oh, Chelsea. And so if I am a football fan, I support Chelsea, but in the most half-hearted of ways, because the players all seem to have changed. Like, I sort of ask questions to look like I care to him and he just sort of frowns didn't know who I'm talking about so no I don't really I mean I think it's a beautiful sport 
I think it's, I sort of like the excitement when it's the World Cup and England's playing or something, I get rather into it for a minute. <laughs> but not like he does. I mean, he, it ruins his day. You know, if Chelsea don't win, whoa. Football always finds oh, its way God. in this show. It does, whenever possible. Does it? Does it? Do you two like football? I do. I'm a, I, I call it both. I'm a big fan, yes. Yeah. I'm an Evertonian. Who? Everton. The to- the mighty toffee men. That's surprising. Why do you support Everton? The People's Club. <laughs> of Liverpool. <laughs> that's, that's really good. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Uh, I had a I had a roommate in college, and his family is uh, season ticket holders, and they turned they turned me on to the mighty toffee yeah, men. That's, that's exactly what happened to my husband. Emily's husband, Alessandro, got season tickets to Chelsea, and Misha went with him. I don't know how many years ago, and that's what turned him on to Chelsea. And all his English friends were supported Chelsea. Ooh. So can we uh, shift gears and talk briefly about your history in comedy? Can we do that? Yes, go on then. All right, so can we talk about Star Stories back in the UK? Tell us about that. Oh, my God, you have done your research. Well done. Yes, go on then. Yes. What was like a, what favorite, was what's like a favorite bit from Star Stories? Um, God, it was really fun being Star Stories because everybody in it was so good. It was like being, um, it was like being, a, sort of, being a kid and doing sort of playing dares or something or charades. Like, you always wanted to be coming out on set watching, even when it wasn't your bit, you really wanted to be watching everybody else. But um, I, I quite, who did I enjoy playing? Um, I had really fun ones, really random ones, like Elton John's mother. Oh, Reggie, what are you doing? Gas doesn't grow on trees, you know, son. Mum, I've told you, I'm Elton. I'm not bloody red anymore. Oh, come on, Reggie, why don't you go and play that song? Mama. Oh, come on, it's a lovely day. Rather a cocaine sandwich. Just the one. And no more after that, otherwise you won't sleep properly. Oh, nobody was taking my suicide attempt seriously. It was just really fun. I was going to culture and Kim Cattrall and Cameron Diaz and Heather. I love being um, Nicole Kidman was quite fun and Heather Mills was fun. I mean, it was it was a really <laughs> silly show, but it was really fun doing it because everybody else was so good. Yeah, no, it, it was it was it was pretty damn funny to watch <laughs> all the all the clips I watched of it. So we. <laughs> We'd be remiss if we didn't talk about your father, John Wells. So I want to know what. He... Yes, you would. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I want to know what oh. what he meant to your comedic development. Oh well, he was really funny, and he really liked laughing, and he had a very very loud laugh. And when he used to laugh, he used to sort of bang his. I'm trying to do it, but it doesn't make sense. He sort of bang his foot on the ground and slap his knee. There was nothing nicer than him laughing in a really big massive mouth and it would just be why open you'd be laughing loudly and I think so from when I was really young it made me feel sort of safe and comfortable laughing with him and we would make up really we'd make up poems so mean we'd make up sort of poems about my mother picking her nose in the car or something we'd make up songs and he was kind of like a kid like it was we just wanted to make each other laugh I mean it's the sort of same relationship I have with my daughter it's really fun it's I mean and my son but my daughter's a little bit older and it's um it was just, you know, wanting to make each other laugh, trying to come up with silly poems and limericks. And when we were back, when I was about nine, we wrote a play together. And then I watched, I used to watch him. You know, I'd go with him. He was on Saturday Night Live and an English Saturday Night Live. I don't think lasted that long. And I'd go and watch him do it. And then he played um, Dennis Thatcher, who was Angela's, um, Mrs. Thatcher's husband. It's actually been rather a good year for spies. It seems one only has to break wind and they come hopping out of the woodwork like cockroaches. No, the thing is, the proprietor has got her knickers in rather a twist about the Euro contributions. It seems they are diddling her again, so she's shot off to Brussels to try and extract a largish rebate from the oily frog, leaving me in sole charge of the entire gin palace fully staffed, so I thought you might all like to toddle over, what? 
No, no, feel no qualms. There is a whiff of an election in the air, and Margaret is uh, splashing out as if there was no tomorrow. She's even squandered £31 million, pounds, which you believe, on the Falklands. Well, it works out about one million quid per sheep. And he made him this ridiculous character, and he did it. He was on for two years, and every night he'd do a different live bit that um, he'd improvise. And I thought it was so exciting. I remember standing on the stage after the play was finished, and I was about eight, thinking, oh, my God, imagine doing this. This is amazing. And also, I think it was just, I think, in terms of just, I think, you just yeah, jokes just seemed like a, a cool currency. It just seemed like it was enjoyable to laugh, and it was a way of communicating it was just enjoyable and he had lots of really funny friends and it just seemed i don't know i'm not sure how it, but it just i mean definitely made a big difference it definitely was you know it was he set me off in jokes wanting to make jokes and tell jokes and hear jokes and you know growing up uh what were you as a child what were you reading well when i was sort of when i was an early teenager i used to read i was so such a sort of so much more conscientious and thorough and sort of highbrow than I am now. I used to read, I loved reading Jane Austen, every Jane Austen, because my grandmother was, Jane Austen's sister, Fanny, was like my great, 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 great aunt or something. I was very really? proud of that. Huh. And so I read, yeah, I read, well, love, nothing more I loved sort of reading Northanger Abbey or Pride and Prejudice or Mansfield Park. Or, so I loved that and I loved reading all the obvious sort of Wuthering Heights and, um, you know, Charlotte Bronte and I loved... And then, yeah, I read mostly quite sort of boring syllabus, not boring syllabus, but what you expected to read if you were studying English, sort of Victorian novelists. And I loved Mary Gaskell as well, I remember. And then when I got a little bit older, when I left university, when I got to university, I did English and classical literature, and I had a really cool um, teacher that taught American studies. And then I started getting excited about like Ken Casey and Norma Mailer and Joseph Heller, and that seemed really cool. And then when I left university, for a short while, I did book reviews for this English paper, and I started just reading endlessly, reading American, um, what's the word beginning with a C when it's now? Contemporary, that's the word. Contemporary American literature, and that seemed just wildly exciting after reading sort of, you know, only English Victorian novelists or the metaphysical poets, whatever I was studying at school. But, um, yeah, that was mostly, I mean, I can't remember when I was really, really young. I liked things like, what was it called? I remember my dad reading Eric Linklater, The Wind on the, the Moon, I can't remember what it was called, The Wind on the moon or something. It's just starting to get boring. Well, well, Dolly, I want to, uh, on behalf of Dan, Dan, say thank you. Thank you so much for being with us, Dolly. We really <laughs> appreciate you, it. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> I mean, you, we went on a, a complete tour with you because you definitely, you were in a cab earlier. I was going to ask you to. I know, you've come, you've come back to Brooklyn with me now. I'm disappointed, we didn't, I'm disappointed we didn't get the cab driver's name. A I was cab ask... back to Brooklyn, that's swanky right there. I know. A cab... I know, but you know what? But do you know what? It's so weird because that's what I was thinking. I was thinking... If I get if I get if I get on the subway, I'm gonna be rude and not won't be the right time for you guys. And if I get in a cab, I'm sort of slightly sweating trying not to look at it. But it wasn't too bad. It was sixteen dollars. I thought it was gonna be like forty or something. Yeah, well, you got off easy. That's good. So that's that, that's that's very interesting. That's a very fascinating note to end the interview on. <laughs> across of <my> taxi. <laughs> so so M Wednesday nights at ten p.m. on HBO. Yes, tonight you can watch it on HBO Go. Okay, HBO Go. Dolly, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Special thanks to Dolly for talking with us. Special thanks to the cab driver that got her back to Brooklyn safely. And very special thanks to Rosa and Haley for helping arrange this interview. 
You can find Dolly Wells on Twitter at Wells Dolly. That's W-E-L-L-S-D-O-L-L-Y. And you can check out more info on the show at their website, dollandm.com. That's D-O-L-L-A-N-D-E-M.com. Madcap is produced by Dan Bloom, David Ross, and Afim Shapiro. Our intern is Marquise Goodwin. MadcapDC.org, on Facebook and Twitter, at MadcapDC.